uh, folks, uh, you know what I'm getting a little uh, upset by, a little cheesed off by, is um, I'm getting a little fucking, you know, bothered by, uh, you know, these people, they... Um, you know, get rewards, they get rewarded, they get promoted, they get praised, they get hyped for, uh, you know, the fact that they had to quit something that they were once addicted to. Now, to me, that's kind of um, sending a backwards message. That's kind of sending the opposite message that uh that we should because you should have never been in the position of you having to uh quit something or having to give up something that that you have just taken out of control uh you know what i didn't quit anything you know why it's because i've suffered I have suffered with nothing, and I have lived with as little to nothing as humanly possible. So, uh, there was ever there was never any need for me to uh, have something that had such a control over my life, where it's like I ha uh I have to give this up or else it's going to crush me because I have been down to the, um, to take a quote from the, uh, the infamous jungle book, uh, the bare necessities. I have been shook down to the bare necessities. So there, when you, when you, when you have literally had nothing, it is easy to not let things become addictions because you've already experienced the uh, nut low of um, of uh, materials, of uh, resources to uh, help facilitate uh, the betterment to your existence. You know, I didn't quit anything. You know, I did everything within reason. Um, I didn't let recreational partying ruin my life. You know, where's my fucking praise? Where's my uh, badge? You know, <laughs> everybody has uh, the 12 steps uh, accomplished and the uh you know the achievements for once having gone down that path and having to gone out of it where's the uh, like if it uh if, if they were completely logical about it like i would be the person who doesn't get addicted to anything and maintains life and you know does substances but doesn't let it uh control their life now that is something that you know i don't have to fucking you know wear a 12-step accomplished fucking badge because i don't let any substance take control of my life to the point where uh i would fucking need to <laughs> so uh you know i think uh we're giving a little bit too much uh, credit to these quitters here, and uh, maybe not a little uh, enough 
credit to those who uh, can just enjoy things within reason without um, having it fucking ruin their lives. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the world according to Kyle podcast. <laughs> you damn right it is. How's it going, everybody? How are you? I'm fantastic. Um, you can find me on your major social media platforms. YouTube at Kyle Max. Twitter, if I'm not banned there, at Kyleverse. TikTok, Kyleverse. Instagram, KyleMax86. And Reddit, TWA2K. If you have questions for the show or topics that you want covered or uh, if you want to mm, present uh, a um, debate um, topic or if you would like to get in on a debate with me, slide into my DMs. If you would be so kind, you can find me. Currently, I am on YouTube. I am on Spotify. Uh, I am on iHeartRadio. NRSS. Catch me out there. If there's somewhere where you would like TWA2K covered, then slide into my one of my fantastic DMs and say, hey, I'm on this platform. Can you get on this platform? And I'll make it a priority to get on that one because there's so many platforms that one could be on. And you can't just do them all at once. So if there is a preferred method of um, platforming that you love to do let me know let me know and I'll make it happen otherwise uh, we'll get into the show in a minute all I have to say if you love TWA2K give me a sub uh, give me a like share this shit with your friends because the sooner that this shit pops off the sooner I can start popping off these episodes on the weekly on the daily on the hourly on the minutely who knows I can just do it more fucking frequently if it's more uh, if it's more spread round so me being the person that I am I like to keep my circles very closed so I have to reach one out to you and uh, extend my, um, uh, you know, my hand in asking for you to share this shit among your kinfolk and uh, we'll get this shit on and popping and then soon enough I'll be doing this on the weekly and I will be hiring a producer or editor to uh, do all this shit that I fucking hate doing. <laughs> <laughs> that and if you happen to be interested in doing that for me also pop into one of my dms and we can work something out because i need all the time in the world i can to think up of the fucked up thoughts in my head to present to you on a weekly basis all right uh without further ado let's get into the show um, <clears throat> so, um, 
as you guys may or may not have uh, partaken in, we, as a TWA 2K collective, are on the Cincinnati Bengals to win the Super Bowl. They just had um, their match with the Miami Dolphins, a little TNF, a little Thursday night football. And, uh, you know, I had a couple of observations I wanted to pass on to you folks, and I wanted to let known, uh, let I wanted to um, pan out to uh, the universe of the interwebs. Uh, now... It was a little bit of an unceremonious win. And now, uh, what do I mean by that? Is that, um, so, well, the Dolphins, the Miami Dolphins were 3-0. and They were a perfect team coming into this game. and But part of their perfect record was contingent on the fact that um, Tua Tungavailoa, the Miami Dolphins starting quarterback, was... Injured, uh, he was slammed down on his head in the Buffalo Bills game, which was the the four days prior to when they were playing on the Sunday, and uh, had a uh, stank leg. He had a noticeable stank leg, and um, the Miami Dolphins medical staff chose. They chose to release him back onto the field in a game that um, Miami spectacularly ended up winning uh, versus Buffalo. And so Miami, when Tua came up with the stank leg, Miami said that they took him into the blue tent and it was a back injury. And... Uh, you know, that can be argued and it can be not. I mean, I think they would have had a better line of defense if they said it was a uh, foot injury because he stumbled. It didn't like look like it was anything that hit his back. But the Miami Dolphins were very um, shrewd, let's say. They were very, um, they were very, um... Uh, you know, intellectually uh, savvy and putting Tua back on the field and they had the excuse ready. They had the, uh, okay, it was his back and that's what we're going to say and uh, they put him back out there with the concussion. Or if he, he may have been victim of a concussion, okay? So this game against Cincinnati, the... Um, one of the Bengals D-line ragdolls Tua after he's dancing in the pocket for a few seconds. Ragdolls Tua and Tua ends up slamming on his fucking head. <coughs> Pardon me. And uh, he went limp and um, he seized up kind of his, uh, you know, his hand seized up like he was given some crip sign, but he didn't like intentionally mean to and it was in like in front of his face it was like you know it's the type of thing that you like fear as a person you know uh when you're doing any sort of physical activity like that's like kind of the worst thing that could happen is that your brain just kind of fucking 
you know, takes a spin and you seize up from the fucking uh, head trauma that you just uh, that you just happen to undertake. Um, <clears throat> now, it is like it is an unceremonious win because I wanted to beat Miami with Tua. And I felt like that since he could have beat Miami with Tua. Now, a lot of the blame is going on uh, the national football, uh, the National Football League, and I think that is um, that is illegitimate. Um, I think that the majority of the blame goes in one place and one place that we are uh that we always ignore kind of and we always kind of um give a pass to in the situation now i think that the um now i've seen a lot of this stuff happen over the course of being a football fan for the past 25 years of my life um a lot of these injuries happen. They're always untimely. They're always awful, and you never want to win uh, solely because of it. Now, um, you know uh, that stated, that put out of the way. Um, the where the blame isn't falling enough on is the NFL Players Association, because you know they are the other side. <laughs> of the CBA of the collective bargaining agreement that represents the players that like, they don't want, <clears throat> they don't want players suspended for a million games either. Like when, um, all this heat comes down on the NFL, when all this shit comes down on Goodell for any sort of situation for, uh, any sort of, uh, player fucking going Looney tunes and, uh, you know, uh, giving a bad look on the NFL. Well, an equal portion of that, which is often getting ignored, and, you know, I'm not a great fan of Goodell either, but uh, a portion that is getting ignored that represents, like, half of the blame in any of the situation is the NFLPA. Because they're the other side of the collective bargaining agreement that is uh responsible for um coming up with some rules so if they wanted to, if they were um as steadfast in uh, in um wanting this change that it would actually happen because if they could think of a uh rule where uh where this wouldn't happen and the same thing happened with that uh those dive blocks and the fact that it knocked out Kayvon Thibodeau uh, and everyone was tripping out that it knocked out Kayvon Thibodeau, but those blocks were still not taken away and they're still legal to uh, do. And, it, you know, they're not technically a foul right now. Why not? Because, uh, you know, the Players Association, there is a conglomeration of every single uh, player in the league and what they uh, feel and what they want and don't want in the league. And the last thing that the players want in the league is to have easy suspensions. That's what often in the side that nobody is thinking about is that there is two sides to this, uh, this story. The players do not want to have 
to to get suspended easy. If a player does target another player, then they don't want that to be like a you're kicked out for six games type of deal. Because they know that in the course of an NFL game, there are uh, there are there are kind of like bang bang plays like they uh, like they say like the football announcers say there are bang bang plays that are just kind of they happen and uh, and if we're and if we're gonna just legislate against that we're gonna have like you know um, 50 to 100 NFL players suspended for six months minimum throughout the course of a regular season and the players don't want that because the players don't want to um, to fuck up and have a you know a momentary lapse in judgment and have that cost them like half of their salary so while we want to blame and while it is uh, convenient for us and our egos and feeling like we're good people while it's convenient for us to blame the NFL, it might not necessarily be that the NFL is all that is to blame uh, in this scenario. I'm just saying, like, you know, uh, I'm all for the, you know, uh, Roger Goodell uh, sucks. And, um, I, you know, I'm all for finding a good commissioner that'll do the things that... Uh, That'll advance football into the 21st century, but but we uh, have to um, distribute the blame where it is due, and at least 50% of the blame has to go on the uh, National Football League Players Association. And instead of Roger Goodell in the NFL and the owners eating this, let's accept that there's a two-way street here, and that. If the players really wanted something that would help protect against them, that we would have it already. We would have it already, okay? And now, you know, this is one of those things where um, I hate to say I told you so. Not really, but uh, I told you so. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and that is the fact that Zach Taylor is not a good NFL coach. Okay. Um, he has coasted on the coattails of the Sean McVay coaching tree for far too long. Um, and it would be kind of, I would kind of let it simmer i would let this have some time to fucking pan out but it's like every game there's some fucking stupid shit that goes on just give me one game where you fucking coach flawlessly and i won't come at you but every game there's some monumental fuck up that can be traced directly to the coach uh the coach's inaction or uh, action when there should not be action or uh, just complete um, complete uh, you know telegraphing of 
your intentions. And it's really getting fucking annoying because, like, you know, I look across the field and, uh, you know, I see uh, Mike McDaniels. And, okay, so here's how I break, here's how I break it down. Mike McDaniels with an injured Tua loses to Zach Taylor and a healthy Bengals. Um, an injured Joe Burrow and a health and a good um, Zach Taylor loses to a healthy Tua and a good um, Mike and just average Mike McDaniels. A uh. uh a bad playing Burrow and a Mike McDaniels would beat a good playing Tua and a average Zach Taylor. Uh, a um, a great playing uh, a great playing Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor is a flip if there is a great playing Tua and an average Mike McDaniels. It would depend on which plays and the Bengals ended up capitalizing on. Zach Taylor is not a great football coach, and there are it's just when it comes down to these very pivotal moments, he overthinks himself way too much. There were there was way way too much. Um, traffic jams and log jams inside of these very pivotal situations i remember with uh like 10 minutes left in the second quarter there's a fourth in 1.5 and now zach taylor go is deciding to go for it now i like this decision to go for it i love the decision to go for it on fourth and 1.5 or two it could be either one 1.5 or 2 yards to uh, the f- to the first down converting. I love the decision to go for it. I personally love the decision. Now, okay, uh, who does he line up there with? He lines up with one wide receiver. So he has a box stacked. So uh, he's, um, he's conveying that he is going to run. He is saying, I'm going to run. He has one wide receiver out in a stacked box and a, uh, you know, a uh, fullback. He's saying, I'm going to run the ball. Now, first of all, it's 1.5, not one yard. If you're just going to smash Joe Mixon up the middle then I would probably say that if it's one yard, yeah, you're going to get one yard if you just smash Joe Rogan up, or <laughs> Joe Rogan, Joe Mixon up the middle. There's a lot of Joes in this, so uh, don't be surprised if I do this more uh, a lot. Now, uh, <laughs> so here's a thing where, and even in the last week, like, so what ends up happening is that Zach Taylor calls a hitch a pitch to the short side, to the side of the field where there's the least amount of space to work with, because the the field the where the ball was placed favored the right side, and he hitched it to the right side. So you have a short, shorter. You have like a forty percent, 
35% of the field to work with compared to a 50 to 55 to 60% of the field to work with if he would have hitched it in the left direction. But that's not, though, what I'm pissed off about. <clears throat> what I'm pissed off about is that these plays on fourth down, which he had to, he had another chance on fourth down. He completely fucked it up again. This is these plays on fourth down that that when the uh, skill position player gets the ball, they're behind the line of scrimmage. Zach Taylor in week three did another fucking one of these plays with uh, Jamar Chase. Catching a jet sweep, a fucking jet sweep on fourth down. Why on fourth down are you having your players catch it when they're already at a loss? If you're going to smash it up the middle, that's fine. And you think you got a beat on the defense, that's fine. You probably don't. And it's probably better to do a fucking play action, um, which you do very rarely. But every time you seem to do, it seems to work out incredibly. So why are you going away from it? Now, I can understand in that situation, if you're play-actioning it, you're going to play-action the hitch, and then you have one wide receiver, they're expecting the run. The best thing you could possibly do if they're expecting the run is to give them like a two to three-yard advantage by hitching it because they already you have the box stacked so they have a defense that is prepared to stop the run i was i was begging the tv i'm just like if this is a play action pass i seriously forgive everything zach taylor has ever done because this is a brilliant play call putting in one wide receiver and doing a fucking play action pass on a fucking jumbo set on a jumbo set and faking the hitch, I would have fucking just nutted in my fucking pants right then and there because I, I and I would have fucking begged for forgiveness for ever insulting Zach Taylor. But that was not the case. He did exactly what I fucking thought he would do, and he did fucking chucked it off to the uh to the uh running back. Um, like three and a half yards behind the line of scrimmage, almost five yards behind the line of scrimmage. And guess what? He got stuffed to the Miami Dolphins' uh, soft-ass linebacker and secondary that cannot fucking handle the physicality of Cincinnati's offense. Just unbelievable. This is not how you coach professionally in the NFL to win and this is not a fucking death nail like um I do I I'm optimistic I hope that we can work this out I want to see Zach Taylor figure his shit out I want to see him not choke I want to see him not uh trip over his dick when he's fucking uh you know got his boot to the throat of the opponent but it's just not happening. And it's not happening on like a, you know, it happens one in every fucking ten. One in every five situations instead of 50-50. I would be willing to live with a 50-50. I'm not willing to live with a one in five fucking crapshoot. Because you're telegraphing exactly what you're going to do to the defense. And 
you're just thinking that um, whatever we got is gonna um, that the uh, that the execution is just gonna beat is just gonna beat them when they know exactly what the fuck is coming. Now, there there's some good things about Zach Taylor, but he's clearly lost in his own head. Now, it's not as bad as the fucking Brandon Staley situation. Brandon Staley is fucked. Brandon Staley let the um let the criticism get to him in such a way where he's overcorrecting. Now, uh Zach Taylor's overcorrect isn't overcorrecting, but he's not really correcting the shit that he is uh supposed to be um improving. Like watching Zach Taylor try to uh you know, come up with a play call to punch the ball into the end zone. It's like trying to watch a Saw movie character get out of, like, one of Jigsaw's traps. Ugh! These are really tiny scissors! I'm just gonna keep cutting! Like, that is fucking... That is what it feels like watching him. It doesn't feel like a coin flip. It feels like, um... It feels like a fucking torturous event to uh, try and watch this guy um, scheme up something that works with his offense. And now, um, you know, whatever. I'll be I'll be the one who uh, puts it out there. But this is the I loved how our offensive line played last game, and I loved how they have been developing. And I don't think it's been bad. And actually, the uh, the three, uh, the front three that protect Joe Bro the most, uh, Karras, uh, Kappa, Karras, Kappa, and Collins, have, and um, fucking um, Volson, they've all been playing good. They've all been playing good. So, I mean, um, like last week, to only get fucking uh, three points and a half is a fucking failure of coaching. That's it. It's not a, uh, it's not uh, anything else. With this, with the skill position players that you have, and um, uh, the talent, and the speed, and uh, the the ability to to do uh, to be multifaceted and to do a lot of things really well. I mean, that's that's on the coaching, and um, I fucking hope it works out. I have fucking money on just like you. I have money on just like you. And whatever, we beat the Miami Dolphins, we beat the 3 and 0 teams, but the 3 and 0 team, but this is not something to celebrate about. We have shit to work over to work on. And uh hopefully we fucking get there. Hopefully we get there because um the uh you know the the um the Super Bowl is for the taking. Super Bowl is for the taking. You know the uh, it look the um, opposition does not look as good as uh, it could be. <laughs> Let's just say, like you know, Josh Allen is having his normal brain fart. Josh Allen fucking moves. You know, uh, fucking uh, you know the Raiders aren't shit. Kansas City's taking a step back, 
Miami, and you know what? I thought. I told my friends, and I voted on every poll that Cincinnati was going to beat Miami because fucking, you know, Cincinnati's got very fast secondary, and uh, they don't have a, like, elite-level pass rush. But that being said, it's no excuse to just lose every game where there's a great pass rush. I mean, you have to have something uh, where it's just like you're not automatically going to lose when there's a great pass rush going against you. So, uh, the NFL, just wow. I mean, um, can you imagine doing anything else with uh, your Sunday besides watching uh, NFL football? Um, I don't know. I feel sorry for you if you're not because, uh, you know, it is just you're, <laughs> you're, missing, uh, you're missing just something really special. Now, um, there was another uh, kind of issue with uh, Mahomes when Mahomes was playing on uh, the Monday Nighter, and uh, he kind of had a issue with Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator. Now, the offensive coordinator, he just wanted to kind of go into half, and he just and it was like you know they had like a little bit amount of time left. And the offensive coordinator was just like, okay, yeah, let's just go into half and whatever. And now, Mahomes got a little pissed off. And I could see that because those points might have ended up mattering. I mean, KC went on to uh, lose a game. And if they would have got, like, you know, a, a, a chunk play and then kicked a field goal and uh, had that extra three points to work with, they might have won. So, I mean, uh, it's about knowing what you have to work with and about, you know, the um, great, the the sign of great coach is to have done everything possible, to have done everything possible to have ensured that his team won. Now, it might have not happened, and, you know, the talent might have not been there, and the plays might have not been there, and the luck might have not been there, but as a coach, the the way to look, uh, the way to vindicate yourself from a loss or tie or, uh, you know, win where you didn't beat the point spread is to have done the things to put your team in a position to do the best that they possibly can do. That is your job as a coach. And that is what differentiates the great coaches from the not-so-great coaches. So, you know, Zach Taylor... Are you just calling these timid plays on fourth down? You know that analytics, and you know that the analytics community likes that you're going for it, but are you calling the plays that are really going to um, be effective? and Or are you just calling the safe plays, hoping they work out, hoping that the talent prevails and uh, and you'll look good on the coattails of, your, uh, of the fact that you have are really great uh, offensive weapons and skill position players. So, I again, I hope I'm proven wrong. But 
I don't think coaching like this can win a Super Bowl. I do not think coaching like this can win a Super Bowl. And I really hope it changes. I got all the faith in the world that Zach Taylor can change. He just needs to fucking make the right decision when the moment is the most pivotal. And that's when, like, when I'm I'm going into these games and I'm watching. And I'm seeing, okay, and... At these absolutely pivotal moments, in these pivotal situations, I'm saying, okay, I hope he's doing this. And it's always the exact opposite. And it's always the fucking exact opposite that he's doing. So, uh, I don't know what it is. If it's OC or the HC. Um, I know at least half the blame has to go on the HC. Because some of these uh, situations where we're not challenging, we've had... Um, Three touchdowns, or no, two touchdowns and one interception that would have went our way had they been challenged, but they weren't. Especially the chase one where he went into the end zone and you rush the guys to the line to run it up the gut, which is exactly what they were expecting and exactly what they hoping that you would call, and then they stuffed you for fucking five yards. <sighs> So that's where we're at. Um, we're all right. You know, uh, things look good, but I mean, um, there's a lot of things which could be better. I just want to say in passing before uh, I stop the sports talk is that, um, you know, I want to pour one out and... Um, I got to pour one out for my man, um, for my guy, uh, Nathan Rourke of the, of the British Columbia, um, of the BC lines, the British Columbia lines, CFL team. Now I would actually still be watching the CFL had Nathan Rourke not gotten injured, but he did get injured. And now I'm not watching the CFL. Now, normally, I uh, just the CFL doesn't exist to me once preseason football starts. But this year was a little bit different because of um, this cat, Nathan Rourke, the, uh, the uh, Miami Bobcat, uh, you know, legend, Nathan Rourke. I... Um, it sucks that he is not in this. I hope he fucking comes back guns blazing next year looking exactly like he did this year. Because the CFL is a better place with him playing and with him um, in the mix. That is for damn sure. Now I'm just assuming Winnipeg is going to fucking win it all and that's that for the third year in a row. Which is what it seems like is going to happen. So, pour one out to my homie, fucking Nathan Rourke. Um, hope you get back soon from your Liz Frank injury. And hope you fucking tear up the CFL. Exactly like you were doing fucking, uh, you know, when this shit began. <sighs> that sucks to see, man. You know, he's playing such good football also. 
Now, let's kind of fucking transition into this other, um, this other topic, okay? Uh, now, I'm a poker player myself, and, uh, you know, I've seen, I've dealt poker, so I've seen a lot of poker throughout my, uh, lifetime. And now, um, it's a... I love poker. It's a fucking great thing. It's a great thing to play. It's a great thing to uh, be a part of. Now, so there are situations in poker that I mean, you could only, you could always imagine. There's only 52 cards in the deck. Now, there's situations in poker which happen, which um, can be kind of deep and can be kind of crazy. Now, this is one of them. Now, so. Uh, let me load it up and we'll, we'll just watch it live as it's uh, happening. So, dude has 8-7 of clubs. Now, let's continue. The girl has jack of clubs and four of hearts. It's just them in the pot. He raises, she calls. The flop, 9-10-10. Two clubs. He bets. She calls. Turn card. Turn card is a three of hearts complete rag. So he bets into the pot. He bets. He bets half the pot. And she's going to raise him right now. She basically min raises 1.5 raises with uh, Jack Four. So he goes all in. She's in the tank right now. All in with eight seven on a ten ten nine three board, and she thinks about it and calls. She thinks about it and calls. With Jack Four. You call me with a Jack High? You call me with a Jack High? Everyone, but it's up to you. Oh my god. This is. This is just fucking, like, poker at its finest. Like. The, the, the announcers are even thinking that she's misread her hand. No. She has not misread her hand. She just thinks he's full of complete shit. Complete shit. And she's fucking exactly right. He tried to bully the pot. Look at him. He's like a deer caught in headlights right now. So they run it once. It's a nine of diamonds, which Jack High wins. Two pairs, nines and tens with a Jack High. Beats the beats the two pair nines and tens with the eight high. So the, and then they run them again. So whatever they run them again and then it's an ace. They decide to run it twice and then it's the ace. So she wins both. 
And now people are out here like saying, oh, she cheated. Oh, that's a bad call. Oh, no. It was the right call. She won. It was the right call. She knew he was full of absolute shit. Now, there's a difference between you can't just treat all bluffing the same. And that's what she did. She did not treat all bluffing the same. There's bluffing when you have ace high. And there's bluffing when you have complete shit. He had complete shit. And this wor- this move works against uh, 95% of uh, poker players. But she was a 5% that it did not work against. Now, even fucking your, your pros fold this. She did not. Now, you're trying to tell me that that was a bad call? That was a fucking great call. She read him like a book. She knew he had absolutely nothing. Your average hand in poker, when you're when you're dealt, okay, so when it's heads up, when it's just you and someone else, the average hand in poker is queen six. And she had jack four. That's not that far off. That's not that far off. There's two three. There's uh. 2-4, there's 3-4, there's 3-2, there's fucking 5-6, five, uh, five, like, there's there's a lot of possibilities outside of just, uh you know, king rag, queen rag, ace rag, and she just fucking put, a, uh, she just thought he was full of complete shit. He could have been full of complete shit with King High, but I think that would have gone a little bit differently. And it was just a fucking good read, and it was great poker. That is great poker. <clears throat> having then having the balls to call in a situation like that. Not a lot of people have that. Not a lot of people have that. I can fucking guarantee you. I can fucking guarantee you less than 5% of the poker world has the ability to make that call. And if he's fucking portraying signs of weakness, if you knew, let's, let's put the flush draw to the side. Let's put the flush draw to the side. Let's forget about that. If you knew he had 8-9 in that situation, he was chasing a straight draw, is it a good call to call with Jack High? Of course it is. Of course it is. He had the flush draw to boot, so, I mean, but he didn't need to go all in. He could have just cold called and fucking figured out a river. His misplay was what fucked the hand up for him. It had nothing to do with her. She was just like, I think I'm good right now, so I'll call. Now, you know, the uh, the turn the the river card came out and it paired the board. If he just uh, cold called, saw a uh, a river and then fucking bet on it, I guarantee you she folds. I guarantee you she folds. What can you put him on? <laughs> like a 10, 10, 9, 2 clubs in a 3? And he's chunking all in. What are you protecting? 
So you're sh- you're saying you don't have a uh, you're saying you don't have a flusher straight draw with that bet, and you're pretending like you have the high card, or like you have the best possible hand. She thinks she has the best possible hand in your drawing, and she called you on the bullshit. So I do not. It's not a bad call. It won, and B, she fucking read him like a book. And this wasn't cheating because we've seen the Mike Postle shit, and we've seen the uh, when when you're looking and you're and you're figuring shit out. No, this wasn't cheating. This was a genuine, natural reaction. She made a tremendously great play. She's a woman. Oh my god, <laughs> like who cares? She made a fucking amazing play, and she read him like a book. Women can do it. Uh. It was it was awesome, and uh, there was no cheating involved. It was all completely genuine, completely natural, and um, was incredible. And that's poker, and that's how fucking poker is supposed to be. And quite frankly, there's not enough of that. There's not enough of that. Too many of these fucking like little uh, fucking uh, you know. Uh, fucking gremlin-like little fucking uh, troll types just fucking just bet out constantly with like garbage and nonsense, and then uh, you know you know over bet with it and get stuck and pot committed and just fucking chunk all their money on on junk, and then and then they turn around and and you call them and then oh you're that was a bad play that was a bad play like bro you chunked all your money in with fucking eight high. And you're telling me I fucking did the bad play? So, that's just my thought on this. From the uh, glimpse of me watching this, 100% does not look at all like a like there's any form of cheating going on uh, whatsoever. So, sorry for you outrage... Uh, Outrage merchants. And speaking of outrage merchants, um, I have, uh, I just cracked a fucking delicious drink. I'm, I am drinking um, this cider called Impeachment, and it is a uh, Ontario locally grown uh, cider. That has apples and peaches with a hint of mint from the Ernest Cider uh, family-owned farm. And it is fucking fantastic. Uh, I love fucking cedars. I love ciders and drinking them and um, the fermented apples. I love Strongbow. Uh... This is just some next level shit, though. Holy cow. I have, uh, I'm really digging this. Um, so that is kind of what I am coasting on for my, uh, energy drink of the day. Now, I think, um, after informing you of the what I'm drinking, that, you know, um, it's been too long, uh, and we have got to go into a fan favorite section. 
of the show. My fan favorite section of the show, as you, you folks may or may not know. We are going to do <laughs> right now. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the Tales from the Crypt. Oh! <laughs> and uh, the Tales from the Crypto is quite a uh, joyous occasion on this. Um, on this random market tanking week where uh, <laughs> there's just a sea of red and uh, everybody's fucking complaining, but... I have to say, uh, <laughs> I'm not looking too bad, to, <laughs> to be honest with you. Now, um, a large majority of that is something that I've been fucking chewing on you guys for since fucking May. Since fucking May, I've been telling you about QNT and that, you, that I was going to start on a... Uh, weekly basis constantly funding my QNT and boy has it been paying off um, this is why you want to uh, not play the market like that time in the market beats time in the market because you never know when shit like this is going to happen now if I was trying to do the timing the market thing i would have totally waited i would have not bought all the qnt that i bought but i did and inexplicably it was the thing that pulled us out of the bear market and is the thing that is kind of just constantly rising that it's above its 200 week ema that it's um while every while bitcoin is beneath its 20 week ema or 20 day ema so, I have my bags packed. It's a fucking joyous occasion. Uh, XRP is actually rising too. So, like, you know, the average price of my... I'm down very minimally probably compared to a lot of people. Like, if uh, you bought Bitcoin at like 50k uh, Canadian uh, and... Uh, and you voided my advice, or if you bought Ethereum at like fucking you know three three point five k, I am. You, if you followed my advice, you'd be you're you would have lost a lot less. But it's not about how you start; it's about how you finish. Um, that uh, is granted; that's for sure. But I'm just uh, super stoked about our crypto positions and. Um, you know what the thing is? I've been telling you this since I started telling you about our crypto positions. That I I change them very little. This is why I do tales from the crypto as a um, as a once in every now and then type of thing because like it is a once in every now and then type of thing. I don't do it all the time and largely by and large. Uh, my positions on what I'm doing do not change. They do not change. 
so what's a what's a sense of constantly talking about this and that and constantly giving you updates nothing has really changed now one thing that has changed is that quant since i've told you in may that i'm constantly going to be funding it has become my second highest uh asset the the second uh asset that i put the most money into and thank god for that because it has really uh this is kind of like an unprecedented thing like um everyone's telling me the market is gonna go down everybody's telling me um that you should just wait because everything's gonna fucking uh go tits up i didn't and i and i bought quant and now you know uh a lot of the market must is going tits up but quant isn't because it was the right asset to hold and you know who knows um we could fucking go, uh, you know, a lot further down and Quant could go rise into the top 10. The point of the matter is you want to be on the right shit. So, my position hasn't changed. But, my, like I said, I told you before, I'm going to look at increasing my Quant. Now... <clears throat> My portfolio is starting to balance out a little bit where Quant is my second highest asset. Whereas XRP is my first, Quant is my second. Now all things considered, uh, I'm not in that bad of a position. Because the uh, case for XRP is starting to come to a conclusion. And Quant is uh, my second highest asset. And it's the one that seems the most up, uh, uh, impervious to the bear market that's going on right now. Which is a great sign. Because Quant... Let me tell you something about Quant. Now, Quant is a second chance at Bitcoin. It is a second chance to achieve the sorts of price action that Bitcoin has achieved. And... I am eternally grateful for it, and that is why I have a bag of quant. I have a big old bag of quant. Because it is a second chance at, uh, at, at doing Bitcoin. And the reason why I'm not in Bitcoin, the reason why I'm not in Ethereum, is because they're, they've peaked and they're too high, and they don't have that sort of 10x to 100x potential. Quant has that 10x to 100x potential. XRP has that 10x to 100x potential. Now, Bitcoin, <clears throat> Ethereum, if you hold on to them long enough, maybe they will 10x. Maybe if you hold on to 10 years, they will 10x. And maybe you have a lot of it in, uh, a lot of your money into them. And maybe they will, uh, maybe that is a smart move for you. But it's not a smart move for me. And it's not the smart move if you're uh, if you're um, putting in 10,000 or less into uh, this crypto market. That's for damn sure. So, I'm interested to see how it all plays out. But, um, let me just roll down uh, my um, my positions. So, uh, so, XRP is my big daddy. Over 50% of my portfolio is XRP. Quant is 20 to 25%. Safe Moon, ten percent. Uh, 
um, Libero, Casper, XDC uh, are all like a 5% play. Um, what else do I have? HBAR is also like a 5% play. So those are kind of, that is kind of my portfolio. And uh, Time I also have too, which has just been a complete ass coin for me. But, you know, I'm still just holding on to it, you know. Uh, so that's it. That's my portfolio. And it literally hasn't changed in two years. Except for, you know, when I told you in uh, May that I'm fucking chunking up on Casper and Quant. That's exactly what the fuck I did. And uh, Quant is just... Quant has just, like, completely... Uh, almost pulled us out of the bear market and we're going to see what's going to happen in the next little while but there is feasibly a scenario where you know bitcoin loses money and drops to 15k and drops to 10k but quant keeps gaining that's not out of the realm of possibility i mean not at all so you're better off being prepared for it. You're better off stuffing your bags. And you're better off uh, dealing with um, both sides and not expecting. Because a lot of my friends have fucked up thinking that Bitcoin is going to 10K. And you know what? If Bitcoin is at 10K, then what does that leave the rest of the crypto market at? 500 billion? It seems weird when the crypto market is under 1 trillion us like because it just seems off that seems low it seems too low doesn't it so i hope you guys have taken my advice because you would be in as good a position as i am now but likely you have not and you are gonna wait until i'm like filthy rich and then me saying oh hey you should have done this and then you're gonna do it and then you're gonna blame me for not for losing money when i was telling you about this when it was like 10 percent of its current value no 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 you're not allowed to do that i'm telling you right here and right now another thing you won't be allowed to do is tell me that uh billetong biltong the south african fucking jerky is uh bad because or uh, that I didn't tell you to uh, have some because it is the fucking most delicious shit I have ever had in my life. Now I randomly did an impromptu uh, visit to a beef jerky place. It said they had beef jerky, and so I went there. Now turns out they were a South African place, and they uh, they you know beef jerky was kind of like what Westerners call it, but they. Uh, they have their own varieties of beef jerky, and it's either shavings or biltong. Now, biltong is, um, they gave this to me on the way out after I got some of the beef jerky style, the shavings, the really charred, like, crunchy stuff. And they gave me some of this biltong, and it was fucking incredible. If you guys ever have the chance, if there's a South African joint uh, near your neck of the woods... I advise that you get this because it is the tastiest, best kind of snack I could have possibly hoped for. It was just marinated in some spicy seasoning and was chewy. It was like kind of having like a, um, 
it's like if like uh, beef jerky was medium rare, and um, you, it was like chips almost. You just munch on it, like was the fucking greatest thing I've ever had. It was like you know I could eat this shit like popcorn. So, you guys, ever have a chance to uh, mow down on mow down on some biltong? Then uh, do yourself a favor, <laughs> check that shit out. Ah, it's about that time, folks. We got to wrap it up. Um, be on the lookout uh, for my next TWA2K. I will be coming at you live. We got a concert uh, next week, so we'll be doing kind of a concert recap slash music uh, pod for the TWA2K30. So stay tuned for that shit. Um, other than that, appreciate you guys listening. Do your, do me a favor, like, share, subscribe. I love you guys all very much. Take care. But until we meet next time, ladies and gentlemen, that was the world according to Kyle podcast. Later, everyone.